1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's very difficult to be so alone when I'm I'm such a together person. And now, you know, most of the time I'm alone.
2: Hi there, I'm Ben Mankiewicz. Before the pandemic, I used to have lunch once a week with Mel Brooks. Every Friday, a bunch of Mel's old friends got together to have a nosh and tell stories. These were stories that probably wouldn't get told in mixed company. There were a lot of laughs. The best part, though, Mel always paid. I got the invitation to join this lunch in 2017. Man, what a thrill. Then the pandemic hit. Mel Brooks is now 97. He is a living comedy legend, though for a long time, he was dead broke, wasn't buying anyone lunch. Then he made some of the funniest films of all time, movies like Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein, made both those the same year, 1974. Mel's an EGOT winner, meaning he's won every major award available. He's never not funny. This is his Oscar acceptance speech for best original screenplay for the producers in 1969.
1: Well, I'll just say what's in my heart. Ba bump, ba bump, ba bump.
2: <laughs> From Turner Classic Movies and the streaming service Max, welcome to Talking Pictures, a podcast about movies, about memories, and about all the stuff that happens in between. I'm your host, Ben Mankiewicz. Mel doesn't go out much these days, so I interviewed him at his home. He lives in Santa Monica in a house designed by his wife, Oscar winner Anne Bancroft, one of the great actresses of her generation. Anne died in 2005. Mel and I talked about Anne, we talked about his career, and he played our rapid-fire movie memories game, The Super 8. It was the first time I'd had a real face to face conversation with Mel in three years.
1: I don't go to our meetings because I'm paranoid about covid so
2: no, I know yeah i uh
1: so i I can't go to lunch it's it's just the parade of autograph seekers, yeah, and one of them is gonna have have it and oh my God, and there'll I... be fights to get close to the table they all I want is a signature, but then they breathe on you and you know so.
2: No, there were a lot of autograph stickers every time. And by the way, I don't think one of them will have COVID. I think seven or eight of them will have
1: COVID. <laughs> <laughs> seven or eight would have
2: COVID. Yeah. It's frustrating though, right? Because it, it is. It is
1: because I'm a, I'm a touchy-feely guy to begin with. So I gotta you got to be careful.
2: Anybody who, who's out with you in public the way we were at those lunches, you know, not only were you respectful to those fans, mm-hmm. but you – you liked it, right? You appreciated the I, yeah. The I liked.
1: I liked it. Yeah, I liked that there were so many people that still remembered me and cared about my work and you know and wanted a picture and an autograph and it was fine. It was fine. I, I never said no.
2: Being alone in this house, do you does it? Do you think about Anne more than I
1: think about Anne more? Well, like more is a strange word because I can't think of much more than I haven't thinking of her. And
2: of course, I get that. In some ways, you can't imagine thinking about Ann Moore. But I just think being in this house alone, uh, you know, you, this house is as it was.
1: I'm sitting in one of the chairs she picked out. Yeah. I'm looking at one of the walls. She designed this house. It's an amazing architectural gift for how it should flow. And she was talented. And, you know, when I first met her and we were asking basic questions about, you know, where'd you go to school? What did you want to be? Blah, blah, blah. She wanted to be a laboratory technician. She liked finding out about diseases, and uh, she had two favorite books: "Anna Karenina and "Microbe Hunters." It's, 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 a, it's a book about diseases and where they came from and how they were conquered. And she's amazing mean amazing, you know. She.
2: So the confidence that you had to pursue Anne. I'm always intrigued by, like, this was not a high point in your career. You were not Mel Brooks of the producers, Mel Brooks of Blazing Saddles. Yeah. You were Mel Brooks, haven't worked in a year and a half yeah, since right. being a TV writer, never yeah. been on TV, right? Never, I mean, nobody right. nobody really knew who you were. But you had, to, I mean, you had some balls. I mean, just to stand up, like yeah. she does her, her audition thing that you, or it's, a, it's not an audition, it's a rehearsal.
1: Rehearsal, She's right? rehearsing
2: for some show, and you're in Perry the Very
1: Como show. Very
2: Como show, yeah. and you stood up, you pl- and you yell out, "I love you." Yeah. And Bancroft.
1: Yeah. And, and then yeah. I ran backstage. She said, "You were in that, huh?" <laughs> I said, "You don't know me." She said, "I do. You're the two thousand year old man. You work with Carl on I loved it. I but I wore out the record. I had to get another record. Sir, is it true that you are two thousand years old? Oh boy. <laughs>
2: The 2,000-year-old man is one of Mel's most famous characters. He's a grumpy old Jewish guy, except he's 2,000 years old. Mel and Carl Reiner, who were best friends until Carl died in 2020, used to do the act at parties. In 1960, they turned it into a comedy album.
1: By the way, sir, uh, are you married? I have been married several hundred times. <laughs> several hundred yes. times? Yes. You have been met. Ma- do you remember all your wives? One I remember well. <laughs> Which one was that? The third one. Shyly. <laughs> um, so
2: that's how Ann Bancroft knew Mel Brooks. She knew him as the 2,000-year-old man. But that didn't make you incredibly rich, that record. Right? No, oh, no yeah.
1: not at all. Uh, she said, I had a lot of guys in my life come after me. You know, and usually sexually, and usually, but... Some of them were wonderful, and but you were thrilling. She said, you were thrilling. You were sincere. She said, I I couldn't resist you. I couldn't resist you. She said, and you, you're not great looking. I said, all right, all right. <laughs> you don't go into detail. I, I know I'm not great looking. You know.
2: But uh, you had very little money.
1: All right. I was broke. Yeah. She usually, when we went to this uh, Chinese restaurant on Ace street in the village. Yeah. She'd give me a $10 bill, and there was always two or three left over for a tip. You know, it was like seven or eight bucks. It was yeah. great. This time she slipped me a 20. All right, so it went to my head. I mean, I got a little crazy. I got a little nuts, and uh, it was about $8. And uh, and I gave him the, uh, the 20, and I said, keep the change. Big shot. Big shot. Yeah. I felt, <laughs> it felt like a big <laughs> shot. And I... <laughs> We walked outside, and she slammed me with the pressure nearly killed me. me. She knocked me down. She said, who the hell do you think you are? That's my money. I don't tip that big. That means you don't tip that big. Oh. Oh, but I couldn't stop laughing, so I couldn't stop laughing. But Anne was, she got me. She knew me. She got me. She, she, and she enjoyed me. And she supported me, you know, literally, literally you know at one point in our life she she paid the rent you know she supported me and she said i i said you shouldn't do this i don't know if i can ever pay you back she said yeah yeah you will you will you're talented you will work and you will pay me back in spades you know? <laughs> so she was she was the best uh and i miss carl carl Reiner. he was we were very close and he was very crazy and And I loved him and, you know, and we would argue fiercely over Jeopardy answers. And I was always right. And he was always angry because I was always right. The truth is I was right most of the time. (laughs) But I miss him. I miss him so much, you know, and he was he was such a sweetheart of a guy. Good natured, gregarious. Wonderful. If you talk to Steve Martin or Dick Van Dyke, I mean, they rave about him too.
2: It seems like the people who were closest to you, the people you care about most, other than your fan, other than your kids, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that Anne and Carl, like your wife and your best friend. Yeah. These are two people who, is, to use your words, they got you. Like right? they understood, yeah, what you were about.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And you know, both of them. People say smart, intelligent. They were wise. It's hard to call somebody wise, you know. It kind of slows up the pace and you think of them seriously. But you can be wise and incredibly funny. And Carl was wise. And Ann was wise. And Ann, like, I said, why are you doing this picture? It's, just, it's kind of a dopey picture. It was called the Hindenburg. And I said, well, you got to jump around and fire at it. It's a silly she said, because I want to move and we need some money. That's it. I said, well, that's wise. Okay. <laughs> All right. So she did it. She never did it for the money, but she said, in this one, I'm doing it for the money. Yeah. That's okay. So she did it for the money.
2: Uh, have you ever done anything just for the money?
1: No. Yeah. I've never done any. I always had a lot of stupid faith in myself. I always believed I was above the fray, you know, that I was gifted. I was given a special talent to find good things and nail them for the audience.
2: So, next year is the 50th anniversary of Blazing Saddles. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And Young Frankenstein. Yeah. But, um, it was a pretty good year for you, 1974. Yeah,
1: 74. It was a bad year for Richard Nixon, <laughs> but it was a very good year for Mel Brooks.
2: Good year for Mel Brooks.
1: He rode a blazing saddle. He a shining
2: star. His job to offer battle to bad men near and far. If you haven't seen it, and you really should, Blazing Saddles is a Western spoof starring Cleavon Little, Gene Wilder, Mel Brooks, and Madeline Kahn, who plays a German singer named Lily von Stupp. That name is one of the tamer jokes in the movie. Blazing Saddles is extremely tasteless and extremely funny.
1: Hey, where are the white women at?
2: 1974, Blazing Saddles. There's this sort of now accepted thought that Blazing Saddles could not be
1: made today. Uh, I think it would work, it would always work, because its heart was in the right place. That's right. Is heart the heart of the comedy is for the good guys, and attacking the comedy is attacking the idiots, the the, the, the bigots, the bigots, yeah. the bad guys. Yeah. yeah. The first screening we had of it was the maybe the, some of the worst hours of my life because I remember somebody got up. I think it was the guy in charge of publicity, and said, "Eat it! We're going to eat this movie. We're going to burn it." We're gonna. He, it's two million. It's two million seven hundred and forty-five dollars. And he he said we're gonna we're gonna burn it. We're, Warner Brothers is not gonna have this smeared against its logo. This terrible, incredibly bad taste. I said if we take out all the things that you don't like that you think are in bad taste and. And I'm not arguing with you, but we'd have an 11-minute movie. <laughs> I mean, it, a lot of a lot of it is in bad taste, and you know, and that's what makes it work. And Callie uh, was so wise. John Callie was actually the production chief. He ran the movies. He said, $2 million is a lot of money. I, I, I don't think we should just toss it away. I mean, you know, it's probably get the two million back. We'd be even, you know." And he said, "Never, never. Too many are lucky if you get twenty cents back, and people are going to walk." So Kelly said, "Well, I've I've booked Chicago, and I've booked New York, two screenings, and uh, let's see what happens." And from there on on, I mean, the audience went crazy. They ran up and down the aisle screaming, "Yes!" <laughs> it was just. It was a smash hit. And then at the end of the summer season, because we just played it for the summer uh, for six weeks, at the end of the six weeks, every theater, every single the 46 theaters, every single theater said, no, no, I'm not taking it out. I don't care what you got to replace it. I'm staying with it. There are lines around the block every night. And i that, that's good enough for me.
2: Blazing Saddles marked the second time Mel Brooks worked with Gene Wilder. The first came on The Producers in 1967. Then, in 1974, they made two movies together. Blazing Saddles and a horror satire called Young Frankenstein. Dr.
0: Frankenstein. Frankenstein. You're putting
2: me on. No, it's pronounced Frankenstein. You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. But they told me it was Igor. Well, they were wrong, then, weren't they? So, Blazing Saddles is the first. Then, Young Frankenstein comes right afterwards. Yeah. Uh, and that's Gene was working on. Gene Wilder's working on Young Frankenstein Absolutely. during Blazing Saddles.
1: We'd meet at night. I'd shoot Blazing Saddles in the day, and I'd meet Gene uh, at the Bel Air in, in a little cabin that he had and we write
2: but i'm curious whether did gene when he conceived of young frankenstein did he think of it as a as a story about the scientist's grandson or did he see it as another parody
1: like no not at all he was very uh, gene didn't see it as a comedy at all he said it could be amusing but it would be the fight that this young scientist had he knew he was betraying his family, but he knew he was—he was saluting science. And you know, I said to myself, "He's out of his mind." I'll listen. I'll make believe. I'll make believe that he's making sense. I said, "Yeah, yeah." I just kept saying yeah, I, and I saw it as a flat-out comedy. Just a weird, you know, a weird scientist is a funny character, you know. And little by little, he came along. I shoved him against the wall once. I had a big fight, but I'm just. Pushed him, you know, he, he was scared because I could be crazy. And I banged him against the wall. And I said, Did you like it? Did you like the laughter? That was after screen. He said, Yeah. I said, How much did you like it? He said, A lot. I said, That's what we do, you know.
2: It's strange that you had two people, two actors very much in your life who didn't understand instinctively how funny they were. Gene um, no. and Madeline Kahn, also sort of.
1: Madeline, yeah. Madeline Threw her heart into it, and she when she sang "I'm Tired," she was Lily Van Stubb. <laughs> she was she was tired. I mean,
2: you know. I'm tired, sick, and tired of love. I've had my fill of love
1: from below and above. And. It wasn't just a satire of Marlene Dietrich, it was just the whole truth of German cinema. It was perfect German cinema. And and the accent just helped. Just was cream on top. But
2: generally though, you've only satirized parody, yeah. things you love.
1: Mostly. Mostly. Yeah. A, few thing, a few things a few things I knew going in I wasn't just in for the comedy. I was in for the lesson. I was in for the to tell the wicked truth
2: coming up mel tells me about his dinner with alfred hitchcock
1: every once in a while when he did a swallow he pushed the table an inch away i said i I can't can't use this i said this is too personal he wouldn't like that
0: That's A-N-G-I dot com.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the writer and director of The Producers, Mel Brooks. A few years ago, Mel Brooks was a guest at the TCM Classic Film Festival, and he mentioned the dinner he had with Alfred Hitchcock. Mel was writing the movie High Anxiety, which came out in 1977. Mel also directed it. It's a spoof of Hitchcock thrillers like Psycho and Vertigo. Hitchcock invited Mel to Chasen's, a showbiz-friendly restaurant in West Hollywood. So for High Anxiety, you, you went to Chasen's with Hitchcock. Yeah. Yeah,
1: what happened? First, first of all, you know, you I sent him an outline of the movie I wanted to make. And I said, I want to feature your movies, and it would be kind of a salute to.
2: If, to, if, if he had said, I'm not into this, you probably don't make it.
1: No, I don't make it. Yeah. He said, I, I, I like it. I have some ideas. Meet me for dinner. So we went to dinner with him at Jason's. We sat down at uh, Hitchcock's table, he had his own table. And uh, there was a guy called George, and George leaned over and said, you, "We have very good cuts of sirloin." They said, yeah, "Okay, give me two-inch sirloin steak, baked potato with some sour cream, no chives." I don't know. Well, you don't want chives, okay? I, I always take these little notes and put them in my head.
2: That's fun. It's a great detail. Yeah. No chives for no chives. No chives. Any shrimp cocktail to start?
1: Shrimp, yeah, shrimp, shrimp cocktail. Uh, big ones, butterfly shrimp. And then he had a uh, two balls of ice cream, of vanilla ice cream, with some chocolate syrup on top. And uh, he had crushed cherries or some crushed raspberries on top of that. So I, I was scared, intimidated. It's Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. Every once in a while, I didn't tell Liz, um, when he would, like, eating the baked potato or the, or the piece of steak... Every once in a while, when he did a swallow, he pushed the table an inch away. <laughs> it was, it was, I said, I, "I can't can't use this. I said this is too personal. I can't, he wouldn't like that." But he did. <clears throat> the table would go an, an inch away. He's what did he say? "You and I, Mister Brooks, are special. We're artists. We're artists." In a, in a grubby, financial, terrible world. And we've got to fight that every day or else it will trample us. And they'll get their way and have bad movies or we'll get our way and have good movies and spend a little more. And I said, I'm with you, Mr. Hitchcock. He said, call me Hitch. We shook hands.
2: Hitchcock gave Mel his blessing to make high anxiety. And he also gave Mel a joke to put in the movie. It was a sight gag about a chase scene and a ferry crossing a river. But it didn't make the final cut.
1: It's a good joke. It's a good joke. I wanted it, but that was too expensive. What's the joke? <clears throat> the joke was the bad guys are chasing the good guy, and they chase him down to a dock, and there's no way for, for him to go. He's going to jump in the water, and just in sight is a ferry, but it's about 12 feet away. And he runs up the top of the dock and runs with all his might, leaps across, and lands flat on the deck of the ferry and breathes an enormous sigh of relief. <laughs> and then he suddenly realizes, uh-oh, and the ferry's coming in. That's the best joke. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It was his joke. It's a good one.
2: It's yeah, a good one. Should have kept it. It's got to go in some movie at some point. <laughs> <laughs> After High Anxiety, Mel took a break from directing and got into producing, started his own company, Brooks Films. His first movie as producer wasn't a comedy, it was a drama, The Elephant Man. Mel had trouble finding the right director until he met a young filmmaker named David Lynch, the same David Lynch, who'd later make Twin Peaks and Mulholland Drive. Where did you meet David Lynch?
1: Stuart Kornfeld, who died last year, God bless him. Just one of the sweetest guys that ever, very smart, great sense of humor. And he worked with me and he, he was running Brooks films for me. And uh, he said, I think I've got the director for you for The Elephant Man. I said, great. Okay. Great, who is he? He says, Come and watch a movie. So he takes me to the lyric theater on um uh, Santa Monica Boulevard, and and, and he, I see a picture, a crazy picture, that was called the Racerhead. There's a baby. It's at the hospital.
2: Mom!
1: And you're the father. But that's
2: impossible. Isn't it it's only No, been... they're still not sure it is a baby. It's premature, but there's a baby. It's like one of the craziest movies I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah.
1: And I fell in love with it. I said, gee, I love this movie because I'm, I, I never figured out anything. It's, everything was a surprise. Everything was a surprise. And what a great surprise. And, and how, how genuine and how, how rich and how, how sincere the insane feelings were in this, this movie. And, and I said, I want to meet him. So Stuart said, that's a problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, "Well, he only he only meets people in in Bob's Big Boy in Burbank." I said, "Because of the bees?" He said, "He said no. He just he likes a, a hamburger, actually with cheese. He likes a hamburger with cheese and 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 a malt." I said, "That's all right. Why can't he have just Bob's Big Boy closer to the studio?" He said, "No, he likes to eat there." I said, all right, "All right, all right, I'll go. I'll go with it." And I went, and I met him, and I meet this guy. He looks exactly like Charles Lindbergh. He's got a white shirt buttoned at the top, and and a and a beat up leather jacket, zipped to the top, a little crazy, <laughs> and uh, he's good natured. and He laughs, and you know, and I told him, uh, I said, "What did you think of the script?" And you know, and he said, "It's real. It's very real." I, I never never got an answer like that. I said, "Yeah, it is. It's very real." He said, "I don't cry." He said, "But when I finished it, I I was crying." He said, "And uh, I know how to do this picture. I know how to to block it. I know how to get the best out of it." And I said, "Swear to God." <laughs> he said. I swear to God, I know how to get the best out of this script. Okay, shake hands. And I gave him the job.
2: Don't go anywhere. After the break, Mel plays our movie memories game, The Super 8. So I'm going to start with these questions here. You ready? Ready, ready okay. for your questions. So the Super 8 with Mel Brooks. Uh, first movie you ever saw.
1: The first movie, I think the first movie I ever saw, believe it or not, was my brother Bernie, I was four, maybe four and a half, took me to see Frankenstein. The, uh, the Boris Karloff, uh, you know, the, the first one, the James Whale. The James Whale. Uh, and edition of, of Frankenstein. <laughs> it was in july and it was hot and my mother came in, into the bedroom and i was slept near the window and she immediately just went to the window and opened it up there was no air conditioning in those days and we were on the fifth floor of a tenement and it was it was like living in a boiler i mean it was crazy and she said why have you got the window why did you shut the window i said because I don't want Frankenstein to come up the fire escape and get in the bedroom and eat me. What movie did you love in high school? I would I would say Casablanca. It just appealed to me. All the characters, I loved Peter Lorre begging you know Humphrey Bogart for protection. I just loved loved it all and and Paul Henry was gallant and and kind of a leader of the free Free World and that love story with with Ingrid Bergman and you know uh yeah I was getting into my my love life I guess then you know being uh, 15 16 17 you know yeah and so I thought you know I lo- I loved Casablanca what was a date movie for you a date movie was always a, was always a Fred Astaire movie Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Always a date movie because I was more interested in in dancing, actually, than love at that point. And uh, Swing Time probably had the best music. But Top Hat had a lot of great Irving Berlin songs. And the one thing I did, and somebody in front of me would say, cut that out. I didn't realize I was da- dancing along with Fred, tap dancing in, on, on his seat.
2: What's your most memorable movie watching experience?
1: That's a, that's a good question. You know, I think the most favorite could be a, a silly comedy that I, that I took to my heart and loved. It was called Ninochka. And I think it was a Lubitsch movie. And I think Billy Wilder was one of the writers who. uh, And I just loved it. I loved that a fervent belief in socialism and communism all faded away when you saw a funny little hat. It was so great. It was just wonderful. How are things in Moscow? Very good. The last mass trials were a great success. There are going to be fewer but better Russians.
2: Is there a movie that you love that you have to defend to other people?
1: Yeah, there is. There is one movie that nobody has seen, right. and, and and they say that can't be, you know, one of your favorite movies. It can't be. It was called The Gods Must Be Crazy. Oh, sure. And it was uh, every scene rung true that, that the uh, Afrikaners believed that the gods tossed this Coca-Cola bottle down for them to enjoy, it, and they couldn't make sense out of it.
2: I don't think I've seen that since it came out in theaters, so you've just uh, reminded me to uh, uh, to see it again. Um, what do you think the movie is you've seen most in your life?
1: Probably it happened one night, but I just loved, I loved the story. I loved uh, it, I stole it.
2: I loved it so much I stole it. I need to explain this because Mel's answer took me by surprise and it's somewhat embarrassing. Mel is referring to the 1934 screwball comedy It Happened One Night, where Claudette Colbert plays an heiress who runs away instead of getting married until she's discovered by a nosy reporter played by Clark Gable. I've seen this movie maybe half a dozen times, but until Mel said that he stole the idea, it never occurred to me that It Happened One Night has the exact same plot as one of Mel's movies. Spaceballs.
1: Claudette Colbert leaves a wedding. <laughs> she runs away. <laughs> Daphne Zaniga just didn't want to marry Prince Valiant because he was half asleep during the <laughs> wedding. So she runs away and I think I think that's you know, I stole that and I love that.
2: Is there a, a movie that makes you cry?
1: You know, a lot of them make me cry. But Carl Reiner kept playing a movie like almost once a week. And if he, he said, if you find somebody on the street that hasn't seen it, bring them in. And I just want to see them break down and cry. So uh, the movie was a movie starring uh, Greer Garson and Ronald Coleman.
2: Random hearts, yeah. Yeah, I always think it's uh, a lost rise. And it, it makes um, me
1: cry, too. I've seen it a thousand times, and it makes me cry.
2: I know you probably can't know this about your father because he died when you were two. But uh, did your mom have a favorite movie?
1: Alexander's Ragtime. She sang Alexander's Ragtime. She sang the title song all the time.
2: Mel is talking about a 1938 movie called Alexander's Ragtime Band, which took its name from a popular Irving Berlin song. Come on and here. Come on and here. Alexander's Ragtime Band. Come on and here.
1: You hear a little Jewish woman from the Ukraine. Come on along. Come on along, let me take you by the hand. Yes, sir. Come on along. I mean, she was doing, she was doing this kind of, you know, jazz, and it was amazing. And, and and I used to, I used to grab my brother Bernie and say, "Don't laugh. I want to hear her do do the whole number."
2: Some of your comedy and your performance that comes from her, right? She,
1: yes, absolutely. When she was dressing me to go to school uh, at eight. I had, to, I had to be at school at eight thirty, and and somewhere around uh, between eight and eight fifteen, there was a Bing Crosby radio program, and he would sing songs of the day, and uh, she often sang along if she knew the song with Crosby. I mean, sang along to the point where where Kitty Kaminsky was saying ba do da do do do. I mean, she was doing scat. What what little five-foot-one Jewish person from Bialystok could do scat singing? <laughs> she was the only one.
2: Uh, thank you, Mel.
1: We should do this again. I miss you a lot from our, our lunches.
2: I miss them too. too. Our
1: Friday lunches. Great to see you again. Thank you. Is that is that required or do you mean it?
2: No, it's required. They just told me to say I oh, okay. could yeah. care less whether I was to be honest.
1: Required, I'll take it. I, <laughs> thank you. I man. love you. Right.
2: I love right. you too. Right. Thank you. That's our show. I want to thank Mel Brooks, not just for the interview, but for making me laugh for decades at this point. I'll be checking out Blazing Saddles and High Anxiety again. I recommend you do the same. You can find Mel's memoir, which is called All About Me, in bookstores everywhere. You can find many of the movies we talked about on the streaming service Max. We made a list for you. It's in our show notes. James Kim produces and edits Talking Pictures. Dory Stegman books the show. Glenn Matullo mixes each episode. Thanks to Phil Richards, Jaco Friedman, Julie Vaton, Katie Daniels, and Emma Morris. Angela Carone is our executive producer. Special thanks to Michael Gluckstad and Allison Cohen from the Max podcast team. And as always to Charlie Tavish from TCM. See you next time.